asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking a guide for life's biggest decisions with Abby Davison. Right at a time, you know, when we might be experiencing one of the biggest shifts in work-life balance, like maybe since the Industrial Revolution, um, I think it's it's more important than ever to make sure that we are making the best possible uh, decisions. Enter Abby Davison and her uh, new book that she's co-authored, Money and Love, An Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. And in the book, Abby, she lays out a framework to help empower folks to make the best strategic decisions without having to sacrifice their careers or their personal lives. It's the combination of the rational with the emotional. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Abby, thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Abby, we're glad to have you and glad to get into such an easy subject. This must have been a quick book to write, taking no time. <laughs> Sounds like, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that's intuitive, right? No, I'm oh, just kidding. absolutely. <laughs> just back of the napkin and a few meals. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fly by the seat of your pants with these big old decisions, right? The ones that kind of make or break our lives that change us as people. But um, yeah, the first question we ask people who come on the, the, uh, on the show, we want to know what's your craft beer equivalent? What do you splurge on while you're saving and investing for your future? Well, funny story about that. When I was growing up, my parents, who are big savers, you know, both born and raised in the Midwest, uh, spent money on two things. One was experiences. They, I joke that they were like nice. millennials without knowing it. So they, you know, we'd go to <laughs> restaurants, we'd see Broadway shows, we traveled, Very and cool. and books. And my mom was trained as a librarian, and I, I just couldn't get over. I was like, we, we, you know, we can get these for free. You know, we can go to the library. And I just, it didn't make sense to me why we could cook meals at home, but we would spend money at restaurants. And fast forward now, the two things that I splurge on are experiences and books. So you know, the apple does not fall far from the tree, even if you are a little skeptical when you are younger. 
That's funny. Yeah, I feel like that's a response I hear all the time uh, from super intelligent folks. They're like, I spare no expense on books. And I like to read. I, I don't read as much as I, I would like to, though. But I'm always amazed, though, that, that people don't utilize the library as much as they can. I'm using Libby for audiobooks all the time. But I get it. And especially if Kindle you're like... on the iPhone, just if, so it's always there. Yeah, but lot, if you're the kind of, of person options. that likes to earmark those pages and you like to go back and you're an avid reader, I mean, a book is still well worth the price. Absolutely. And I have two little kids. And so it's really fun to see. Actually, I have books that my mom wrote inscriptions to me in, you know, Charlotte's Web when we read it together. And now I get to read that to my kids and they see, you know, the note that that their grandma wrote in. So I love that. We we do something similar with with every, I guess, of the more serious books that we read, we always try to write uh, our name and the date on there as well. Same thing, sort of, Joel, like, like you and I do with our board games. It's a record of who, who has won recently. Uh, it's a, a record of who has held that copy and read it, but I love that, Abby. So speaking of, of your book, let's kind of like dive into Money and Love. What was the, the impetus behind the book? Why did you and your co-author write it? Yeah, well, I, when I was in my early to mid-20s, I really struggled with how to make big life decisions. And, you know, like everyone, you know, you're making them a lot in that stage, right? Should I move to a new city, even if I don't have a job there, just because I want to live there? Um, when I do get a job offer, multiple offers if I'm lucky, you know, which one should I take? Is this person that I'm dating the one? Um, should I turn down a full scholarship to one grad school to go to maybe your other your top choice? And so these are all decisions I faced. And but I just I didn't feel great about how I was making them. It didn't stop me from making decisions, but I just felt uncertain about my approach. And then when I was in graduate school, I took a class taught by my co-author Myra Strober, and suddenly I realized why this was so hard and i you know why i was going around about my decision making all wrong and it's because the conventional wisdom is that if you have a money decision to make think about it with your head look at the 401k offer for the job think about the salary the career progression and if be you be a have, robot on that front yeah and if you have a relationship decision to make you know just follow your heart you know how does that person make you feel but you know, in reality, money and love decisions are completely intertwined. And if your process doesn't take this reality into account, you're going to miss a critical part of the picture. And so I took Myra's class and just this light bulb went off. And I happened to be dating someone at the time who was also in the class. We had met at graduate school. We've been dating for about a year. And we were in our second year. So we were about to graduate and we needed to make decisions like, should we look for jobs in the same city? And if we end up in the same city, should we move in together? And because of Myra's class, we were forced into some really uncomfortable conversations that we didn't (laughs) feel ready to make um, or feel ready for. But it turned out to be so critical to building the foundation of relationship. And we're, you know, fast forward today, we've been married 13 years. We have two kids. We've navigated lots of job changes. And so we wrote the book so that others would have access to the same information. We didn't want it to be the best kept secret of Stanford Business School. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. Bringing that to the masses. And it sounds like that class was helpful to getting you both on the same page with kind of some of the ways you think about some of these complex decisions. And one of the things you mentioned in the book, you say a big part of making better decisions in this arena is to not make decisions too hastily, right? So is part of the problem sometimes that we're just we're rushing things? Absolutely. I mean, we as humans do not like uncertainty. And so when we're weighing multiple options, you're 
actually sitting in uncertainty or you're kind of in this pause. And so our tendency as human nature is to just get to the other side of the decision, like just just make mm-hmm. a decision. And um, it turns out while that make might make us more comfortable in the moment, it could lead to some things that we regret over the longer term. And so we definitely advocate slowing down and not making certainly those mm-hmm. big decisions overnight. Yeah, I feel like, and I mean, just our world today, it seems is only encouraging us to make those decisions incredibly quickly, just the amount of information that we're inundated with, right? But with that in mind, though, you can plan things out perfectly, right? But the world, it, it likes to throw us curveballs, both personally, but then also just from a, from a macro perspective, just think about everything that we've experienced over the past couple of years. So how, how would you recommend for folks to factor in the inevitability of uncertainty when it comes to their decision-making processes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if nothing else, the last few years has taught us that you can make plans, but, you know, the saying is, uh, you people plan and God laughs, right? God laughs, so, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we certainly aren't saying, oh, if you follow this process, it will just be like clockwork. But what we do believe, and we've road tested what we call our five C's framework over the past several years, and not this has not been a smooth, you know, paved road, right? We've been like in a Jeep with potholes and mudslides <laughs> and monsoons. Like it's been very uncertain, tricky terrain. And we, we know that even even when those inevitable curveballs get thrown at us, if you're following a process that you are uh, aware of, that you are intentional about, that you feel more confident on the other side, regardless of, of the outcome, and you feel like you've actually approached it in a thoughtful way, and no matter what happens that you didn't expect, uh, you can't say that uh, you didn't do your best in terms of actually approaching it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think even if you end up getting down the road and you're like, man, I kind of wish I'd gone the other route, at least you put it through a rigorous process, right? And it's tougher to beat yourself up endlessly because you went through some sort of framework. And you talk about the five C's framework in the book. Can you give us a brief overview of what that looks like? We're going to talk about in a bit some of the major decisions that you cover and how to think through them. But I think the framework would be helpful to kind of get to that now. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you kind of a high level of the five C's, and then I'll I'll just go deeper into one that I think your listeners will especially uh, be interested in. So, all right, uh, the first is clarify what's important to you. The second is communicate with the people who are involved in the decision. The third is choices. Evaluate all the possible choices. The fourth is check in with friends, family, trusted resources. And the fifth is consequences. And I want to just touch on this consequences step because, you know, I imagine people listening to the show are thinking a lot, particularly about the financial consequences of decisions and mm-hmm. <laughs> just hypothetically. So, um, sure, when- I buy a house that's way outside my price range. What are the consequences, potential consequences of that? They can be severe. Yeah. So I think, again, human nature is that we think a lot about the near-term consequences. We actually overweight, research shows, the the near-term consequences of decisions. And so when you're making a big life decision, it's important to uh, make yourself think about um, all the different time horizons, right? Not just the short term, say, like Mm. between now and six months, but the medium term, say, you know, uh, six months to a couple years. And then, you know, what's the long-term consequences beyond a couple years? And and those, it's important to overcome that um, near-term bias by, by tricking our brains into playing out those consequences. And you can certainly do things like uh, assign possible outcomes to 
positive and negative consequences. You can, you know, get nerdy like my husband and I did uh, and assign probabilities and create decision trees. <laughs> um, talk about uh, <laughs> that if you're interested. But um, it, you know, it just making sure that you've sort of played things out, not just uh, what you can kind of imagine you're going to be faced with in, in kind of the, the next um, couple months, but further down the road can be really helpful to um, examining the, the possible consequences of your actions. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think one of the things it, it makes me think about is even just what, the first question we asked you out of the gate, what's your craft beer equivalent? Because it, I think it's important for people to identify that. Like, what is it that you want to spend money on right now, even while you're being smart with your money for the future? Because if you don't have that outlet, if you don't have that release valve, there are consequences to that too, right? To not enjoying at least some of the money that comes into your life. So I think even a question like that is important for helping fuel the money decisions that we make, uh, because there are long-term and short-term consequences that we bear. And if we don't, you know, use our money proactively in ways that are going to make us happy in the here and now, it's the the investing for the long term might be short lived. So those are the, I think that thinking about it in terms of different time periods for the possible consequences is really wise. So I was actually I was curious which uh, of the five C's that you thought might be most consequential uh, <laughs> to our listeners, Abby. But what like what is it about? like long-term thinking versus short-term thinking? Like, is it just because we experience the short-term most immediately, most directly, that we're only thinking about the here and now, and oftentimes we're not thinking about our future selves? Like, it makes me think about how, like, we've recommended before, Joel and I, to, like, mess around with a face app, even. And it's like, let's see what you might look like in 50 years. Just so you can empathize with future you. Because oftentimes, I think we do have a a tough time thinking that far off in the future. But I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well as to why it is that we do that. No, that's exactly right. And I think there have been studies showing that when you do see renderings of yourself in the future, you do make better decisions for the long term. It's actually one of the reasons I love having a co-author who's in her 80s because she's seen so many um, (laughs) decades of life that I haven't yet. And so it's very helpful when there is a um, something that happens, right, like a pandemic uh, to say, okay, well, I haven't quite seen this before, but I I do know that we're going to come out of this. And so that long-term perspective is so helpful. Mm. And you can't get that unless you've lived it in a lot of ways, but you can sort of trick your brain um, into thinking that by playing out the the longer-term consequences over decades. And you can do that with your budget, right? Your financials. And um, certainly before you make big decisions like buying a house, people do that. But you don't always do that with... um, relationship decisions, right? With, um, you know, getting married, you might do a budget for a wedding, but maybe you're not um, modeling out what it would look like to combine debt over time. And those are some things that is really, are really important to think about in the long term. Yeah. Well, I I like what you said too, age group. Like, I feel like we we are, we tend in modern America to silo amongst age groups. And there is something massively beneficial about having a relationship with your grandparents about yeah. having an older neighbor next door that you look, look in on take yeah, uh, and, and, and learn from them, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> we, we are, our, our, um, we, we value youth in our yeah, American society and yeah. yeah. And in many ways to our detriment. Um, I, I want to nail in on one of the other C's for a minute, Abby, before we kind of get into some of the specific topics you cover in the book, uh, communication, right? Easier said than done. Most of us, we're not great at it. Uh, and so uh, can you give us some advice on when and how to communicate effectively when you're kind of talking through some of these major decisions? What does communication look like, kind of broadly speaking? Yeah, well, so the first thing to 
keep in mind before you communicate is knowing where you stand, what you want. And so that's hopefully what you've done in the first step. Um, so when you get to the communicate step, this is you know communicating with anyone who's involved in a big decision. So not making an assumption of, of what that person might value or or have find important. You know the the biggest thing to keep in mind when you're starting a conversation is when to do it. Right, especially if you're talking about these big meaty topics. Don't do it as you're, you know, starting the morning rush to get the kids out the door for school and you're <laughs> trying to remember all the backpacks and homework folders and lunches, right? That's not an excellent time to make sure that you're able to be calm and um, keep uh, keep your head about you. So, you know, I personally, what works for me is to do it on hikes. My husband and I are big oh, hikers. And so yes. we'll just kind of get <laughs> out of our daily, you know, the, all the piles of laundry and, and the dishes that need to be done, go out on a hike, let our kids you know, run up ahead and then have a conversation about some of these bigger topics when we're just kind of in neutral territory, when we're in nature, um, that can be really helpful because you're not surrounded by the the stressors of day-to-day life. So thinking about the setting of where you communicate is equally, if not more important than thinking through what you're going to communicate. And certainly, you know, I'd say the last thing I want to share about this is, is listening, right? So many of us, when we're talking, especially about big things that make us anxious, we try to just get our thoughts out as quickly as possible and just, you know, make sure that the other person has heard us. But, but really when you're communicating, it is a conversation and you want to make sure you're listening just as much as, um, as you're talking, if not more, right? The whole old adage about like the two ears, one mouth, and that's about the <laughs> amount of time that you should be spending. And I think it's true, um, so especially true. about these big decisions. Love it. Yeah. No, I love in particular that you you and your husband do that while you're hiking, just to, as a way to kind of diffuse the situation, especially yeah. if it's something that's uh, uh, a topic that might come with heightened emotions. And okay, so al- along these lines in your book, you, you reference the Gottmans, who mm-hmm. th- they're, they're these uh, relational experts, uh, but you lay out the, the negative communication styles that they mentioned. Like, what do we need to avoid when it comes to <laughs> comes to these kinds of interactions? Besides just having it uncomfortably in the morning at a terrible time, yeah. like what are the other <laughs> exactly. negative communication methods that we can sidestep? Yeah, well, they say that they can predict within like 15 seconds of a conversation whether a couple <laughs> is going to get divorced just based on their communication style. Oh, so I think that's, that's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, certainly... Um, what they do not like is um, people who are who just shut down. You know that's called stonewalling, right? You you um, one person introduces a topic and the other person just refuses to engage. I mean, that is definitely a recipe for um, disaster because you might try to turn a blind eye to these conversations, but life is going to happen whether you're you know engaged with them or not. And so if you yeah. can, you know, have the conversation with your partner, even try to do it in a neutral territory as possible and diffuse the situation, certainly making sure that you're, you're engaging, that you're, you know, thinking about yourselves sitting on the same side of the table against the problem, as opposed to it's me against mm-hmm. you. It's like, no, the problem is, you know, we have our kids going to college and we're going to have to save for that. Not, oh, you're spending this much and you're spending that much. It's like, no, (laughs) actually, let's be a united front against the problem. And the more you can sort of think of the discussion like that, um, the better off you'll be. 
I like that. That's killer advice. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> all right, we've got uh, more to get to, including we just want to really dive in now on those additional chapters where you literally give people frameworks for how to think through the biggest love and money decisions in their lives. Dating and marriage, we talk about uh, prenups, or about having kids, uh, insurance, things like that. Where you choose to live, we're going to get to questions on all of the above right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break talking with Abby Davison. Let's talk about some of the, I guess, the major decisions that relate to love and money that a lot of folks encounter just throughout their lives. Like, what should folks consider when it comes to dating and when it comes to marriage? Because, you know, these are some pretty big decisions. These are choices that are going to have massive, uh, a massive impact in both realms when it comes to your money and when it comes to relationships and love. Yeah, I mean, money is such a big topic, and we are so strongly influenced by our own money stories. And, and so 
it's really important to tell them to each other early and just get that baggage out on the table so that you know what you're dealing with. And, you know, one of the things that uh, my husband and I talked about early on was debt. Actually, I had taken on student debt to go to grad school, but I knew I was going to work for a nonprofit after I graduated. And so um, my Stanford was going to pay back my loans. That was a, one of the reasons I, I chose to attend there is that they had that policy. Uh, but I knew that w- if we did get married, once we got married, they were going to take both of our assets into account. And I would have had, I would have had to disclose his assets in addition to mine. And so we talked about that. This was like even before, you know, we, uh, we, he proposed and we got engaged. We talked about how after that happens, you know, what would happen to my debt? You know, would he help me pay back my loans? Because he was certainly going to prevent me from getting Stanford to pay it back. And so, um, you know, just just talking about things that we have like debt, but also, you know, I I love the question that you start out with, you know, what budget item do you spend reckless amounts of money on? Because (laughs) we don't want someone to say like, oh no, that thing that brings you joy, like you can't do that anymore. Squash that right now. Exactly. No more craft beers for the rest of your life. For our future financial, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Deal breaker. Get that on the table. Get that on the table. Yeah. Are you okay? So when you say get it on the table, I am curious. Like you're probably not talking about bringing your budget and all the dead dead bodies in your closet to the first date, right? Like how, how do you have a formula? How do you suggest people actually do that? Yeah, well, actually, in the book, we do have exercises that we uh, have at the end of each chapter. And so there is one uh, at the end of the dating chapter. And it could be an easy way in to be like, hey, I just read this book. And they Uh have some questions that they suggest couples talk about when they're, you know, they think they want to spend more time together. And, And that was the thing about the timing of this class for me. It was, like I said, not the type of conversations I would want to have after, you know, a year, let alone like one or two dates. But because we were forced to have these conversations as part of the class, we were really well served by it. So I would say before it feels comfortable, and so your definition of comfortable might be like after three dates, um, you know, if you know you want to spend more time with this person, it's better to get these questions on the table, the diving board is not going to get any lower. It's always going to be scary to have these conversations. And so better to find out early that the person that you are interested in grew up moving every few months because their parents couldn't pay their rent. And, and, and so that's actually going to influence some of the decisions you make together. And so, you know, trust is such an important part of relationships. Um, in order to communicate well with each other, you have to trust each other. And so we, we believe that these questions can actually help build trust and that can lead to more success over time. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of talked about timeline, right? So oftentimes it might be sooner. It might be before you actually feel 100% comfortable. Um, you know, you might be having these conversations earlier on. And as far as the actual topics, you mentioned you and your husband, y'all, y'all talked a decent bit about debt. What other sort of topics do you think couples should kind of delve into when it comes to some of these, some of these questions? Yeah. Some of these ways that money is going to impact a relationship like that. Yeah, so we certainly your approach to combining your money, right? So there are, I'd say, three options. You can pool everything, you can pool some things, or you can keep entirely separate accounts. And um, those, you know, people are very influenced by what they see their parents do, maybe what they're seeing their friends do. Especially if you're making different amounts of money, it's important to get on the same page about, you know, how are you going to approach uh, your your financial combination um, formula and what might that look like over time? And so Ross and I had an approach that was we 
at the beginning, before we were engaged, we had a certain percentage of our salaries because I was working for a nonprofit. He was working for a hedge fund. So we were making wildly different amounts that first year after business school. We contributed a, the same percentage of our salaries into a shared uh, pool that we then used to pay rent, groceries, things like that. And then cool. we actually um, increased that percentage over time, right? We When we got engaged, we bumped it up a bit more. When we got married, bumped it up more. And then we had kids and we're like, okay, there's no like... <laughs> I mean, we do have a very small separate account that we use to pay for gifts for each other or if I go on a girl's weekend um, just because we don't you know, want to have to check with each other about everything. And we don't anymore. But in those early years, we did. We said like over $100, um, we will check with each other before we spend mm-hmm. it. And and that really helped us, again, build that financial trust that you know now you know we, we don't check in on those things. But it's important early on to lay out what might your approach be. Very cool. Yeah, I, I like that y'all did percentages because it's like, well, we got the same amount of buy-in even though the dollar amount looks different. Yeah, for sure. And that can hold up when people make radically different amounts, for sure. Sure, too. yeah. Uh, Abby, you, you talk about prenups too. You get into that uh, thorny question. And I know it can be an emotionally charged topic. How, how do you think couples should discuss whether or not they should go that route? Because sometimes even just putting the prenup concept on the table can cause hurt feelings. It's true. It's a, it's a very charged issue. But actually, prenups are on the rise. And, you know, millennials who have seen uh, their parents get divorced, they are delaying, you know, waiting longer to get married. So they have more assets that have accumulated than maybe their parents did. Um, more and more are actually going the prenup route. What we think can be really valuable is doing all the steps that you would take to create a prenup, but stopping short of creating the document itself. And so that same level of um, disclosure, that same talking about um, what's important to me can accomplish the same thing as the, I mean, certainly doesn't accomplish it legally, but it forces you to have the same conversations, which we think are just good conversations. It's just good hygiene. Um, Mm. And then, you know, Actually, my co-author with her second husband hired one attorney to create a prenup, and the attorney said, "But wait a minute, this is usually not how it works. You you have your attorney, and my then your husband has his attorney." And they said, "No, we know. We we just were approaching this together, and the relationship is the client, which I yeah. thought was a really interesting approach." That's cool. Yeah, usually the lawyers like fight to the death, and then, you know you see what shakes out in the end. Well, then it, it already feels like a battle right. at that point. Right. And so the ability for you to come in together, I think that is so important, Abby. And like it kind of takes me back to just what you were talking about when it comes to communicating about uh, your finances, like your five C's, knowing what it is that you want, how that is so important. And like you said, going through the motions, going through the steps can help you to, to just to communicate and to kind of get on the same page without even technically creating a prenup. I yeah. think that's that can be incredibly valuable. All right. So let's say you, you're dating, you get the prenup, you get married, and then kids are on the table. That's another uh, question that you tackle in, in this book, which is, I think it's amazing, like to, to actually have some concrete ways to help people walk through a big old life decision like this is really helpful. But uh, it can also be a really difficult financial decision when you look at the stats, something what, like $300,000 is what it's predicted to cost to raise a kid from the age of zero to 18. So it's, it's not just like, a, hey, this is going to change our lives. It's like, hey, this might change our whole financial trajectory as well. So how do you suggest couples discuss that major topic? Yeah, it's it's so material, um, but it is something that I mean I certainly didn't know um, even though I took the class like what 
what would the cost the the money costs be? Um, mm. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it was covered in the class, but I didn't like pay attention because that was so <laughs> far um, in the future for me, right? Like I was just trying to decide if this guy that I was dating was the one I was going to end up with. And so, um, what I love about the way that you know we wrote this is that like that's a separate chapter. So if you're not ready to even go there yet, like just you know don't don't look at it. But when you're ready, then yes, you can kind of go in with your eyes wide open because it's yeah it's three hundred thousand dollars through through 18 and then, you know, another 200 for college, right? So you're looking at half a million dollars to raise um, and send a kid, one kid to college. Um, I think, you know, the the other important cost that it, you need to think about is time, right? Because the, the money mm. is one thing, but I, I'm sure you know, you're both parents. Um, it is tremendously time intensive, especially yeah. today, given the expectations of what parents um, are involved with, with their kids to raise a kid. And so, before you you know make those decisions it's it's talking through how do we anticipate spending our time right do you want to continue your career how do you yeah. feel about that you know how about you know the other person in the relationship right it's it's i think we are living in a time where the percentage of couples who have two careers um, is higher than ever. It's it's mm -hmm. increased, you know, so significantly over the last, you know, um, several decades. And there was a little blip in COVID, but, you know, I think we're, we're mostly back. And so um, I think it's important for people to be thinking about um, how they want having a child to uh, affect or not their ability to pursue a career. And then that means childcare, right? Um, so who is going to care oh, yeah. for that child? Um, <laughs> well, if we're both pursuing careers, what type of childcare do we want? Can we afford it? Um, is it available where we live? Um, is it high quality? And so all of these things are important to go in with your eyes wide open about. Um, if you if you assume that, oh, you know, my parents are just going to take care of our kid when we have one. <laughs> have you talked to your parents about whether that's something they want to do? Sometimes grandparents are like, no, I did that. This is your turn. <laughs> right. I just want to play with them on the weekends, right? They're like, we're going to yeah. be in Maui, so uh, you might need to figure that one out. Sorry about that. Right. Well, so that's yeah. the communicate step, right? <laughs> Make sure you exactly. talk to the people involved. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that you brought up childcare because it is so incredibly expensive. And I mean, families today, like especially ones with, with two or more kids, they just have, you know, more difficult decisions ahead uh, to, to make on that front. So, I mean, do you have specific tips for folks like as they're trying to, to determine like, all right, are we going to pursue the career? Are we going to pay for childcare? How do you recommend for folks to talk through uh, that difficult decision? Yeah, well, we have another exercise about it, and and this is the thing, right? It's it's um, can feel a little bit like you're in school again, going through and like working on a worksheet. But I mean, at least for me, it's helpful to have that intentionality because I mean, once you have the kid, like you know, you aren't thinking very clear-headedly in those first few months, right? As you're like trying to you know up at all hours, and so in the fog. Exactly. I'll say first few years, okay? Yes, Not first, first few months. I'll, I'll go longer. Fair, fair. I mean, my oldest like, is about to turn ten. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I did not trust <laughs> okay. me. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we actually did have some help with our kids overnight because we knew, I knew I do not do well on sleep. And so mm. this is the thing about clarifying what's important, or I do not do well on no sleep. I do very well on sleep. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing about the clarify step, right? It's just like knowing what's important to you. I, I knew from like just the history of being me, uh, that if I don't sleep, I am a disaster. And so like, that was a way that we chose to spend some money. Actually, it was a gift, a financial gift um, from our parents 
parents who weren't able to be helpful for various reasons, uh, but they actually paid, helped pay for someone to be in our home and take care of our kid um, overnight for some Very nights nice. a week because it was so important to, to us to have that kind of help and we couldn't get it through family. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think having the ability to zoom out before you're in the thick of it clarify what's important to you, communicate with each other about, you know, your career aspirations, your other things that are important for you to accomplish um, alongside having children can really set you up well for then when you're in the thick of it and you, you know, so sort of like building that foundation, right? If you've built your house on a solid history of being able to communicate about tricky topics, then when you're, you know, kind of building the upper floors, once you have maybe one, two, I know you have more than that um, kids, then, then, you know, it's, it's even if the wind is blowing and the house is swaying like it's it's on solid ground yeah i like that you all, you also you document the rise of dads staying at home in the book which is so true um, the traditional 50 eras model fortunately is no longer <laughs> the norm in our society uh, how do you encourage folks to think about gender roles when it comes to work family and chores as those gender roles are changing like it it, it makes some of those discussions based on how you're raised, based on what you saw growing up, based on kind of the expectations that you have because of that, it can make some of those conversations a little more difficult, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, the stats are pre-COVID, but it's a little less than 20% of dads are staying at home and, and people are trading off over time, right? I think that that is uh, an interesting phenomenon and actually, you know, really gives people flexibility to not feel like they're locked into one role mm. over time, right? Like I am always going to be the breadwinner no matter how much I hate my job, I have to stay in it because I'm the one who brings home a salary. I mean, that that is very freeing to both people um, in a relationship if you are clear on what people want and not to make assumptions based on gender roles. I mean, there's so much research that same-sex couples actually have more equitable distribution of labor because they have to talk about it because they can't default to Oh, what does society think? You know, I should do based on my gender, and so we certainly think that you know, dividing household chores, um, childcare responsibilities are is you know same approach as everything else, right? Be intentional, um, clarify what's important to you, clarify what parts of. Um, what parts you hate doing, um, and make <laughs> right. sure that you're you know you're you're talking about what each person will do and what you will outsource. And, you know, yes. that outsource piece comes with the financial implication, right? Yep. So, so how do you, you know, budget for that? And that's, um, and I remember actually in Myra's class, we had an exercise where we had to, you know, get with a pretend partner. I did not actually work with Ross for this, but we, uh, you had to say like, <laughs> okay, here are all the things involved in running a house and having kids. Like what is person A going to do? What is person B going to do? And what are you going to outsource? And you got assigned different salaries and you had to, uh, observe like where the power dynamics fell mm. based on you know those salaries and <laughs> and through that you know negotiation exercise it was fascinating no that's good that's very I mean it makes me think of like I've always sworn that at no time in my adult life will I rake leaves uh, because I was so scarred <laughs> by all the leaves I had to rake as a child. See, that's that's why you have kids, Joel. Right, I know, yeah. But it's, uh, like them. it's uh, like they're, yeah, they're getting there. They're getting exactly. There. But uh, it's it's one of those things where I have outsourced that, and I know it's not the most frugal choice, but it's one of those things where, like, for me, it's worth the money, and that's something we had to talk through. Similar to getting our house cleaned once a month, we're like, okay, we kind of want to do it more, but no, we're going to stick to once a month. But at least that gives us like a baseline cleaning once a month, and we're willing to pay for that. But those are 
conversations that we had to have, like, do we feel comfortable spending the money? How important is this to us? I also, I love that thing that you said about it can go back and forth. Like in the beginning days of building this business, my wife took on more responsibility. And now my wife, she's in grad school and she's going to start going into her career. And I'm, I'm going to take on more responsibility at home for a time. And so I think knowing that it can be a pendulum that's swinging and not just like a, hey, you just have to eat it and sacrifice what you want for the greater yeah. good of our family or for us financially. That's a really helpful way to think about it. Um, uh, Abby, we have a couple more questions we want to get to. We want to talk about how to choose where to live. Interestingly enough, there's like a personality component to that. And then careers, how you think through career stuff. We want to talk about both of those things. We'll get to that right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right, we are back from the break talking uh, through a guide for life's biggest decisions with Abby Davison. Uh, and Abby, before we, we talk about careers, we're going to talk about geography. 
Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, where we choose to live, like that's another decision that affects our entire lives. We know that very well because we actually we moved our, our families earlier this year. Those are difficult decisions with a bunch of factors to consider. But how do you recommend folks sort through just the, the money, the relational, the, the lifestyle factors when it comes to choosing a, a place to put down roots? Well, it's so interesting because when we were researching this book, we surveyed hundreds of people. We sent out a survey to lots of folks and where to, when to move and where to live was the number one topic that people wanted to talk hmm. about on the survey. And, and I wow, think it's because that, um, well, part of it was we sent it out during COVID. So people were you know, <laughs> in their homes more than ever before. It gave us a lot more of an imagination to think about changing where we live. They're like, I hate this place. I'm going to yeah. go somewhere different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no matter how much space you had, it was not enough. Um, hmm. But I think, you know, it really did give us a, a moment to kind of step back and say like, hey, what's important? important to me. And people talked about, you know, some of the ways that they had made the decisions before um, being about where the job prospects were the best for their particular career. Suddenly, when remote work opened things up, people had an opportunity to reassess and say, actually, it's important to um, be close to my family. Or, you know, we saw a lot of people actually comment on how issues of identity factored into their decisions, right? Um, Maybe they're in a mixed race couple and in certain places they, you know, they didn't want their kid to have like an eyebrow raised or people say like, no, but what are you, right? And so they wanted to be in a place Mm. with lots of mixed race couples. And so um, the vibe, if you will, of a place is, is very important, you know, in addition to all of those, the financial and the career and the, you know, the family pieces. Um, I think there's an interesting book that we read as part of the research by Richard Florida that talks about the personality traits of different parts of the United States and how um, they've done surveys and they uh, discovered that traits like neuroticism um, are concentrated <laughs> in the New York metro area and the Midwestern heartland and and traits like agreeableness and conscientiousness, this is like the, the big five personality types, they call it, um, are concentrated in the Eastern Sun Belt. So there could be, you know, places that have a dominant personality, if you will, that, that might be a good fit for you um, based on your specific personality traits, which yeah. I, I think is fascinating. I thought that was fascinating too. That was the mo- yeah. one of the most interesting parts that I picked up on. And I was like, makes sense that I'm in the Sun Belt now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I kind You're of so agreeable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think so. Uh, well, and so, yeah, that was really interesting. And I think that's a good point, like when it comes to those external factors of what you're looking for. But th- then there's also a money aspect, too, because if you're like, I really want to live in a high rise condo in a downtown city, like a major metropolitan area, specifically if you want to live in a place like New York City or San Francisco, that comes with significant money trade-offs. So the vibe might be exactly what you're looking for, but the reality is on the money front, you might not be able to afford it. So those are really uh, difficult topics to cover as well, because the money can vary so wildly between places that you might want to live. If you want to live in, you know, even a a downtown Birmingham, right? That's going to be a very different money commitment than living in New York City. Absolutely. And, and I think along with those conversations, you know, the career impact conversations are important to have too, right? It takes a lot of effort and commitment to make sure that, you know, if, if both people in a relationship want to advance their careers that to make sure a move isn't going to hurt someone's career, right? So um, kind of like a a Hippocratic oath, if you will, for people, (laughs) couples moving to say like, first do no harm. Um, It's it's certainly important to go in um, intentionally with 
career moves because if you're, you know, and I think lots of professions, you don't have a whole lot of control. I think of um, academics, I think of, you know, doctors that get matched to certain residency programs, right? But but having those conversations before you go through that matching process or before you, you know, apply to certain universities for tenure track positions, um, just to get on the same page about what you're both hoping for over the long term, career-wise, financially, um, kind of the other pieces of the picture that are important to you. I mean, um, when Ross and I were deciding where to move after grad school, we, based on the industries that we were pursuing, um, New York City would have been a, a top place for us to look, right? He was interested in, in, in finance, and I was um, interested in social innovation and impact. And I knew there would be amazing career prospects for us in New York City, but I also knew because I lived there before grad school that people work all the time. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I said, we, we had a conversation about it and we said, yeah, we'd have amazing jobs. We'd never see each other. And so yeah. we actually yeah. crossed New York City off the list because we valued all the things outside of our jobs in addition to, you know, uh, our career ambitions. And so hiking looks a lot different in New York City. Too. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's true. That's true. It was something that's one of our top Plus, things that we love to do. So. Yeah. yeah. Plus, Abby, she didn't want those neurotic vibes. She liked following her wherever <laughs> she goes. Well, well, I grew up with the neurotic vibes, so I take them with me, but it's better if I don't have them all around me. <laughs> Considering that you, your specific location, when, when it's you by yourself, you can make oftentimes the, it's an easier decision, but certainly when you bring somebody else into the mix, that is a conversation that's worth having. And, you know, like, like how do you encourage folks then to, to kind of find the balance between finding fulfilling work that they're passionate about? And then at the same time, like you got folks who are looking to pursue a career that might allow them to achieve their financial goals. Like there, it seems like oftentimes those two things are sort of at odds with, with each other. And so how do you recommend for folks to kind of reconcile those two things? Yeah, well, I go back to the five C's, right? Um, what's important to you? Is it important to make as much as possible as quickly as possible? Is it important that you have um, a, a career that gives you the flexibility to kind of have periods of intensity, but then also be able to like go see your kids' school play um, and not feel like you're chained to you know your email all the time? So I think once you once you have that clarity, you can then have those conversations to because it's all about trade offs, right? It's not we can't we can't do everything and so being able to say okay i'm okay with driving a 10 year old car i'm okay with you know living in a house that's not you know hasn't doesn't have the fanciest new kitchen right I, i don't need you know fancy brands what i do want is to be able to take three amazing vacations every year right mm. and so i guess having that the ability to get so clear you know specifically financially on what financial freedom, if you will, means to you. Yes. And then, you know, how do you... Speaking language, Abby. Yeah. <laughs> and then how do you craft your your life and career around that, not be a slave to kind of what, what someone else told you was, you know, a prestigious career? I mean, that's what's so tricky about so many people who are achievement-oriented, right, and, and go through um, checking off boxes for so many years, and then all of a sudden mm. they get out and they're like, wait a minute, I've checked all these boxes off and I'm miserable. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so not allowing other people's ambitions to get on your life list, um, and that just takes a lot of discipline and a lot of self awareness um, to be able to sort those things out. Yeah, and you said checking boxes. It's it's almost like it's a worksheet, and like everybody is doing the same things. And truly, what it does, like, I mean, what we're talking about here is like being creative. It it takes pausing and thinking and being creative and imagining and sort of 
uh, like casting a vision of what, what you want your life and, to look like. Part of that is knowing yourself, right? Knowing yeah, what you want yeah, and exactly. not just following blindly what everyone else wants. And I think, yeah, I guess last question for you here, Abby, like I feel like a lot of what's being sold to us when it comes career-wise these days, it's like your career should be incredibly fulfilling, should be deeply meaningful to you. And the reality is there are a lot of people who are incredibly happy folks who don't have that relationship to their job. So do you feel like that's oversold and that maybe we should learn to divorce meaning from the work that we do a little bit more if we're able to, like you said, be untethered from our email, if it gives us copious amounts of free time to do things that we actually love? How should we think about that dichotomy? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that um, (laughs) my father-in-law says like, it's a job. That's why they call it work, right? It's not like supposed <laughs> mm-hmm. to fulfill everything. But I think, you know, my generation was certainly told that your job, you know, your career should be everything to you. And um, you should find something that, you know, gives you passion and meaning. And I, I certainly think passion and meaning are critical. But I, I think there are places to get them other than, you know, your your job. And so yeah. um, I, I think zooming out and, and not just allowing your job uh, and what you do for pay to you know, to have so much weight put on it um, can be very freeing and and um, and I think having you know certainly in this in this day and age as we're hearing about layoffs and we're hearing I mean we've been through so many trends right we had the great resignation and then we had quiet quitting and now we're into layoffs and I, I think you know really despite whatever we call it I think people are looking for more purpose and meaning in their lives and so Hopefully, there is a, a component of your job that gives that to you. But knowing what those other big rocks are, if you will, in your life mm-hmm. that you want to make sure you have room for um, is is as you know is even more important. So that then you can um, shape your life around those big rocks and not assume any one of them is going to be your be all and end all. Right? I mean, I I adore my husband. He is not going to fulfill every single need I have. Right? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's just like that. Right? For a job, it's like it's not. But gonna, he is great. Let's he, be he's honest. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I adore him. And when I want, and he, but he's an introvert, right? And so, like, we recharge our batteries really differently. When I want, like, a great gossip session and a good conversation, I'm going to go have a drink with a girlfriend. And that's totally fine. So, it's the same thing with your job. It's like, know what you're going to get out of it, be eyes wide open about that, but then make sure that there are other elements in your world, in your life, that are going to meet those other needs that you have. I love it. Abby, I love the framework that y'all have presented here uh, in your book, Money and Love. It's going to be available next month in January. But where can folks uh, learn more about what y'all are up to and specifically, I guess, where to, where to purchase that book? Yeah. So we have a website, moneylovebook.com that has links to places to purchase it, including where people can get signed copies if they want it. It has a, a fun quiz on um, that can help people learn more about their money and love decision-making type. And all of our social media channels are on there too. Great way to combine money and relationship advice, which is tough to do, but you guys, yeah. I feel like pulled it off really well in this book. So Abby, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. All right, man, that was a super fun conversation with Abby Davison. I feel like just (laughs) a way to kind of think through the biggest life decisions that you have. Uh, And they often involve both those things, love and money, right? And Mm -hmm. they feel sometimes at odds. So I don't know, I guess my first question for you is, as always, like, what was your big takeaway from this combo? My big takeaway, well, and one of the things she said is that these two things aren't at odds. Oftentimes we have to, there's elements of both that we need to tap when it comes to any decision that that we're making. Uh, We can't just completely turn on robotic, rational mats when it comes to business decisions and then only save emotional you know, decisions for like the family 
more yeah. things that you know that I'm personally interested in from like a emotional like love standpoint when it I guess comes to relationship. I enjoy the work I do. I don't want to make it sound like that. Why do you hate me, man? The, <laughs> the work we do is only it's business only. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of different aspects that we need to, to take into account when, as we're making these big decisions. But my big takeaway came, I guess, maybe kind of early on in the conversation. And Abby mentioned how hard, and I mentioned this at the time because it, it stood out to me. But Abby, her and her husband, they, they go on these hikes and they have some of these bigger, hairier conversations <laughs> while they are on their hikes. And I loved her tidbit too about letting the kids run up ahead because there, you know, there's, there's times when it's just like, all right, the kids don't need to hear us talking about this particular topic. But I really like how it allows you both. And she kind of was talking about this as well. Like she's like imagining, imagine both of you on the same side of the table and, yes. and you're working against sort of like the problem, whatever the problem is, we're both looking at it as opposed to looking at each other. And you kind of do that when you are doing an activity, when you're participating in something, when you're hiking, you're both hiking alongside each other. Uh, and you're able to have that conversation that way. And plus, it just makes it so much more fun, right? <laughs> like we, we talk about couples going on like money dates. It's like, okay, don't make your budget meeting this like Contentious affair, face to face conference room, like spreadsheets printed out, like pencil sharpened sort of events. It's like, man, like crack open a bottle of wine, go to a brewery, sit down, talk about money in that kind of environment. And, and that's, you know, we think that that's going to lead to much more successful conversations as opposed to the nose to nose. We're going to duke this thing out. Right. But, uh, yeah. What about you? What was your big takeaway? Uh, I think towards the end of the conversation, actually, when she said it's all about trade-offs. And it made mm, me think of yeah. this Thomas Sowell quote, who is my favorite economist. He said, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And that is the reality of human life is that so much yeah. of the time, there is no right way. It's a choose your own adventure book. And so you are talking about trade-offs no matter which direction you go in. Living in New York City might be the time of your life. It might be worse. Awesome from, from a career standpoint. Yeah, all the money and the connections and the fun that you have. But you also might realize, wait a second, that drained my bank account. And you know what? I don't like being surrounded by a ton of neurotic people. So it's, <laughs> it's not the best choice for me. But there are th these are trade-offs. And so especially when you're having this conversation with a significant other, or even if you're not in a relationship, that's totally fine. You, even making this decision individually, there are going to be trade-offs with every decision. You might have to move further from family, or you might opt for a career that's more fulfilling, but pays less money. Uh, and yeah, finances come into play with all of these decisions. But I guess just to say, there is no perfect. And you're just, you're hopefully trying to find the best solution for you. And that might involve saying no to something good in hopes yeah. that something better comes along in the future. I love how Abby talked in the beginning about how these five C's, how this intentional process, it's not always going to land you in the best possible outcome, but at least you can point back and say, hey, <laughs> I went through a lot of work to come to this decision yep. and I can feel secure and happy knowing that I did the work yes, to arrive yeah. here. It's it's doing the due diligence, yeah. basically. And we don't want... I didn't do it the, on a whim. Exactly. You don't want at the end of the day to realize, well, I don't even know how we really got here. And you don't want to just leave it to chance as to whether or not it's a good outcome. Hopefully you've done and put in all of the work possible in order to achieve what hopefully is a good result, but it may not always be a good result. And I want to say too, sometimes it can be something kind of off the wall, but still take that possibility and put mm -hmm. it through this framework. Like, yeah. It makes me think three of the best months of my life. We're traveling around this great country of ours, Matt, quitting my job after six months and just spending time getting to know the landscape and visiting some great national parks, that kind of thing. So it's, it, you know, that doesn't sound like the best long-term option, right? To make no money and to quit a career uh, route that you are embarking on. 
early on, but for me, it was well worth it. And I think, yeah, you can still come up with a decision like that, but putting it through some sort of framework to make sure that, hey, this is really what I want right here, right now. And I'm never going to be able to have this opportunity again. It's worth leaving something good for something better. And I can always come back and get a day job later on. But but yeah, I think this framework is going to be really helpful for people to make better decisions when it comes to those biggest uh, question marks that come along in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I love it. I love it so much because like as an individual, if, if, you know, a lot, I guess a lot of this episode, we did talk about relationships, but what we're also talking about, like what we're talking about right now is the process. And basically if you are making a decision on your own, what we're saying is to think about it. (laughs) But if you're making this decision with somebody else, if you have a significant other, a partner, what we're saying then is to think about it and then talk about it. Right. Cause I, I think that's one of the other things that Abby said that was so good is that you need to know what it is that you want first in order to communicate clearly with your partner when it comes to making some of these large, big, huge life decisions together. I think if we don't take the time to have actually thought through what it is that we're looking for, you might make a a decision as a couple, but then two years into it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I don't really like this. And (laughs) of course, we can all change our minds at some point down the road. But again, you want to have done the work, like you said, you want to put in that due diligence. For sure. All right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This was Narwhal. It's an Imperial Stout by Sierra Nevada. The 2022 version. This is actually uh, this this is a beer that we've had on the show before. Oh, really? But it's a previous year's. Okay. And so they, you know, it, they, it changes slightly. So this is this one is... that I was okay us revisiting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite widely available stouts. Oh yeah. It comes in a six pack. It's Sierra Nevada, which means I think they distribute in all fifty states. Or it's at least, affordable. At least most of them, as and... evidenced by the fact that it comes in six packs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But this is this is a delicious one, like roasted mm. coffee. Yeah. It's definitely dark, right? It's black. It's dark. Roasty toasty. Baby. Yeah. So if you if you like the sweeter milk stout. This probably isn't your jam, but if you like kind of bitter coffee notes, a little more, in, a little more smack you in, in the face. Sound, yeah, th- this one is going to be for you. I, I really like this. This is one where I was like, I thought they stopped making it, and when I saw this, it put a smile uh, on my face on the shelf. I was like, Yes, yeah. they're still making it. So this is this is a really good one. I like it a lot. Narwhal with this crazy tooth on its head. Uh, yeah, this is uh, more. It's, it's you more. Find your dad. <laughs> Uh, This is more of like an espresso style coffee as opposed to like the milk styles are very much more like that fall into that flat white category. But if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, check it out. Narwhal, it's an imperial stout that you can find most likely wherever it is that you purchase your craft beer. And Joel, we forgot to mention this uh, at the beginning of the episode, but listeners will have a chance of getting a free copy of Abby's book, Money and Love. We're going to give away five copies. We're partnering with her publisher. And so what you need to do to ensure that you are entered in to win a copy of Abby's book is just leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. And then send us, uh, just send us an email over at howtomoneypod at gmail.com. You Either can, do a screenshot, send yeah. us your screen name. And by the way, if you've left or a review even in the just, past. You know, I don't know. Oh, you're going to say just reply to previous emails? Yeah, reply that to your you previous email when you've entered. Yeah. We'll include you as well. So There's a people, lot of folks who do that. If you reviewed on day one, you still deserve a shot at winning <laughs> this book. Absolutely. But yeah, if you if you haven't yet left a review, please leave us uh, a, a great review in on Spotify, whether it's just a star rating or an actual written review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. Either way. And yeah, and hopefully, yeah, you can win a copy of this really fascinating new book. But just leave that review by, by Thursday at noon and send that email over our way so we can get you in and we'll announce the winners on Friday's episode. On the Friday flight. That's right, buddy. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 